0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the power of your word. And we pray that this morning you would really touch our hearts. You'll really go to the depths of our beings, Lord, and speak to us concerning this thing called rejection. May you speak to the root issues in our lives, Lord, and uproot what needs to be removed, Father. We open our hearts to you and we say, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am really privileged today to be sharing with you a message that I believe is going to be very powerful and potentially life-changing to do with the rejected loner, the rejected loner. Rejection is something every single person on the face of this planet, on the face of the earth has experienced. There are different types of rejections that we've been through in our lives. I don't know what you've faced. I think sometimes the worst is when rejection is mixed with betrayal when you're actually expecting love and acceptance from someone whom you respect and admire, and then you don't receive it. In fact, sometimes you receive the opposite. I don't know what you've faced in life. You can experience rejection from family members, for example, right? Uh, Maybe it's because of choices that you've made. Maybe you feel like they don't love you unconditionally. They don't accept you for who you are. Maybe you've experienced rejection maybe because of ministry or your belief, your faith. I still remember at school, going to boarding school, and I remember I was aged about 12 and I was very radical and I was doing a lot of evangelism to other Form 1 students who were there. And I remember one guy coming to me and saying, do you think you're Jesus or something? And I felt so misunderstood. And you see, the thing about rejection is if you think of your emotional pain that you experience, that you face, right? Often the pain we experience at an emotional level Right? It's much harsher, it's much more painful than what we experience at a physical level. All right? If you look at the pain centers of your brain, right, it's the same place where you experience emotional pain and where you experience physical pain. And in fact, what's interesting about emotional pain is we tend to remember it more vividly think about it. If you're a soccer player, football player, right, Uh, you won't so much remember five years ago when someone uh, studded you or kicked you in the shin. You won't remember the exact feeling in terms of pain, but you will tend to remember when the ref was not uh, fair, when he didn't treat you fairly, all right? We tend to remember those things and we tend to rehearse them. I still remember when I was growing up, just to reinforce this example, I remember uh, we had some friends who lived the end of our road. Uh, It was a cul-de-sac, right, cul-de-sac, and uh, I remember getting onto the gardener's bike, you know, those big black bikes, right, that were for grown-ups, and I was only about maybe nine years of age at the time, and I remember getting onto it, and I thought to myself, let me go for it, and um, there was a bit of a hill, so I went down that particular hill, and after a while, I realized, wait a minute, the brakes were not actually working, okay, and then what happens was our road changed names after crossing a main road, Right? So I crossed the main road with the brakes not working. Fortunately, uh, over the blind rise, there were no cars coming. Okay, that was a close shave. And then I go down the next Sac and it was called Leslie Close, I think. And uh, it was very steep. I ended up crashing into one of the Jura walls at the bottom of that um, Sac. But what was interesting was I only remember swallowing a stone. That's the only thing I remember, swallowing a little stone, all right? I was scarred. uh, It was obviously painful, but I don't really remember that pain. But I can tell you right now, when I think of some of the rejection I've experienced in my life, I can sometimes remember more vividly, right? More vividly those experiences than the physical pain that I've experienced in my life. Maybe you've experienced rejection because of your ethnicity, your ethnicity. I remember a few uh, years ago, we had some friends, the Andersons, some of you might remember them, and we went to a place close to Harties, right, and uh, it was a resort, and they were traveling in their vehicle, right, um, husband and wife, white, okay, and then we were traveling behind them, husband and wife, black and white, okay, and then there were the kids, and I remember they arrived first and they went through. And when we arrived there, um, we asked, you know, so can we enter? And the people said, no, sorry, uh, there are no day visits today. Okay, it's only people who are going to sleep over. And we said, but our friends have just been through. Uh, no, sorry, those are the rules. Okay. Okay. And we ended up having to go somewhere else. The Andersons also left the place. I remember Sean Anderson was really upset uh, about um, how we were all treated. But it was clear that there was something based on ethnicity, right? Uh, There was some kind of discrimination that was taking place there. And that can sometimes be quite painful. I don't know what you faced in life. There's also rejection that you can experience because of your age. I'm giving you different examples so that uh, it reminds you of situations and scenarios that you might have faced in your life. I've been in corporate situations where I'll go and I'll train people on leadership, for example. And I remember I started doing this when I was in my mid-twenties. And I still remember going, speaking to a particular ex in an organization. I won't mention its name. And I remember the guy saying, oh, so are you the Mr. Nyamuda? We were expecting someone more. I thought to myself, okay, so I guess to speak to people about leadership You have to have a pot belly and you have to be very bearded or something, okay? Maybe you've been experiencing that in your life even right now. The question is, how are you processing it? I'm really glad that the Lord helped me in how I would process these situations because when I reflect back on that situation, I tend to look at the positive, the fact that after five minutes of addressing these people, they realize that, oh, okay, you can actually be taught something by someone who's younger than you, all right? Um, I remember corporately being in a situation where I was doing some work for a large organization and uh, the learning and development person came to me and said, I don't know if you realize, but on our books, you are actually coaching 80% of the people who are on our coaching books, okay? And I thought, okay, that's a positive thing. And this individual said to me, but uh, the leaders of our organization, the executive in our organization uh, are questioning this and saying, why is it that this person is coaching so many people, right? And cut a long story short, um, afterwards, my work ended in that particular organization. But what I find so interesting is the way my mind works is I just focus on the fact that wow, I was actually coaching 80% of the people who were being coached in that particular organization. Now, when I was feeling sorry for myself, I'd sometimes think to myself, why didn't they actually come and ask for tips where I could help them in terms of like how to coach and how to improve that front? Why did I have to be marginalized in this situation? And I'm not gonna go into all the details, but as soon as that door closed for me, another door opened up. Some of you have experienced rejection in your lives, uh, when you were still very young and that was when your personality was still forming and I've said to you before your personality uh, forms in those first ten years of your life and how you processed that information actually affects how you are today. I still remember going to boarding school and being bullied and I mean I' would tease the guys a bit here and there so maybe I was also causing, but I remember these guys kicking me and holding me down and so on and I remember writing a letter to my to my parents and they didn't do anything about it. And I literally had to make a decision that, you know what, I'm going to survive. And many of you have been in that situation where you've reacted to rejection in that manner, where you've said, this is what I'm going to do to protect myself from rejection. And because I grew up watching a lot of Kung Fu uh, uh, feature films, you know, those Friday night ones, those of you who grew up in Zim know what I'm talking about, okay? We used to call them Kung Fu Future. We didn't call them Feature, but Future, right? And uh, we would practice a lot, you know, our karate, our Kung Fu and so on. So yes, in the process of a couple of guys got black eyes and that kind of thing Yes, I did that I'm not saying I'm proud of it But a point I'm trying to make is that sometimes when we experience rejection We end up becoming survivors And there's certain things we do in order to survive rejection And to some extent I could say it worked Because uh, they got back to me and started respecting me a bit more and so on, right? Uh, but I'm not proud of it, obviously What are you doing in your life right now to protect yourself from rejection? You see, when we talk about rejection, we're not just talking about the pain of being rejected. We're actually also talking about what you do in anticipation of rejection. Open your heart. Open your heart. I want to really minister at a deep level, at a very deep level, to your heart, a heart level, and show you today that the pseudo Identity of the rejected loner is not your portion. And when you understand how that behavior was learned, it becomes easier to unlearn that behavior. Okay, so let's have a look at what God says about you. In the book of Zephaniah 3, verse 17, it says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. You see, this is the antidote for the spirit and the root of rejection. Having a revelation of how God sees you. You see, today we're not talking about the humanistic way of dealing with rejection. We're not talking about saying to people, you don't define me. I don't care what you think. And then not replacing it with something else. You see, here's the important biblical principle. The degree to which you have a revelation of God's love and acceptance determines the degree to which you will experience freedom from the fear of the rejection of man. You see, the true antidote for the fear of rejection from man is having a revelation of God's delight in you, God's acceptance of you. You see, some people understand that, yes, God is with me. But I want to ask you a question. When God is with you, what are his thoughts about you? You see, with all the rejection i faced in my life, the one thing I can safely say is that I always felt special. I always felt like, you know what, I'm a favorite of God. I always felt like, you know what, God is for me. He is not against me. I remember preaching the gospel radically when I was at, um, at school, at boarding school. And I remember the way I would sometimes be treated by people, right? When that guy said to me, do you think you're Jesus or something? I felt misunderstood. But you know what? I still felt special before God. I don't know where you're at in your life and how you feel, but God's words over you are crucial. And it's so important to meditate on those words that he speaks over you. You see, there's a guy called Daniel Kahneman, and he was known for uh, what's called the prospect theory, right? He came up with the prospect theory where he found that we tend to be more fearful of losing something, right, than taking the risk to gain something, right? That's just how we are wired as human beings. So what tends to happen to us is that we would rather protect what we have, even relationally, Mm. right, than actually being a face in the in a place where we actually go and seek out something that we might not actually gain. And you see the difference between the average salesperson and the person who's a highly effective salesperson, very often I believe it's actually the fear of rejection. You see a lot of people who are good at selling, they've overcome the fear of rejection. They've said to themselves, you know what, I'd rather be rejected a hundred times by someone, but still know that I will get those three sales, all right? Whereas a lot of people are afraid of losing face. Is the fear of rejection stopping you from being who God has called you to be? When I was growing up, I went to a school where you had all these rugby captains from different schools, different junior schools, and we were now all together at high school, some of them very physically strong people, very vocal, and it could potentially be quite intimidating. I remember in my formative years being in a situation where I first went to boarding school and uh, there was a guy I knew at that particular school because our parents were friends. And I remember I would follow him around, follow him around. You know, those guys who ended up representing the country in rugby. And I would keep following him around. And I still remember he would walk with his legs, his feet going inwards. Mine went a little bit outward type of thing. And I would try and walk like him and so on. He was a guy, same age as me. And I remember one time he was so irritated and he was like, hey, stop following me around, okay? Um, But despite that rejection that I might have faced at the time, God's hand was always on my life. Despite feeling misunderstood at the time, God's hand was always on my life. And I'm so grateful that his voice displaced all the other voices, that his word over me that says, I will rejoice with you in singing, displaced whatever rejection i might have been facing at the time i remember growing up uh in in harari in zimbabwe um you remember uh, zimbabwe got its independence in 1980 okay and so in about 79 1979 we moved to the suburbs right there were very few black people there at the time and i remember um, aged maybe nine or so, there was a girl who lived across the road and I quite liked her. You know how it is back in the day, right? I quite liked her as a nine-year-old and so on. And I remember being quite shocked when she had a birthday party and she invited a white friend of ours called Clifford Tufnell, right? I still remember his name, Clifford Tufnell, right? Uh, But I didn't get invited, but I felt like I was a next door neighbor and we'd always play together, but would play basically uh, by the fence, right? I never went into their house. And I remember she told me that I'm not allowed to invite you, right? And I knew again that it was something to do with ethnicity, right? I can give you story after story. I can talk to you about ministerial rejection, right? Uh, I remember when we were in a particular ministry and we are moving away from that particular ministry. Um, we had decided to move on. And I still remember one particular lady saying, I'm torn. I don't know whether to come with you guys or to stay. And I remember specifically saying to her, you know what? That person who started this particular movement, he's your spiritual father. You need to stay on in this particular ministry. Don't come with us. Okay. Um, But I remember that person then communicated to a common friend of ours and said to that individual who then told me that... um, And said to a number of people, actually, Paul was trying to market his ministry. Paul was trying to get me to join his ministry. Okay? And was my first time really experiencing that where someone would blatantly lie, right? Blatantly lie. So sometimes the rejection we experience is linked to betrayal. Sometimes the rejection we've experienced is linked to misunderstanding. Sometimes it's linked to false accusation, all right? Where people end up having a view of you, and I realized years ago, that you know what? If you know God and you're following Jesus, you need to focus on that. Don't try to control other people's acceptance or rejection of you, okay? And very often God will allow that rejection to continue until you've literally uprooted the need for acceptance from people. You see, people's acceptance of you is very fickle. It's very fickle. Okay, that boy who I was at school with was saying, don't follow me around. Years later, a couple of years ago, he was the one coming to me wanting to borrow money. All right. People change. Life happens. I still remember back in the school in school days when the head boy of our school at the time in my year group, he said to me, you know what? Some guys have a bit of a problem. They feel like you're spending too much time with some of the juniors. Now, I would do that. I'd have Bible studies with them. Lots of them came to know the Lord because of my ministry towards them. Right. They would come to my study with nice, fancy studies and so on. They would come to my study and so on and come to know Jesus But the people in my same year group, I was at one of those schools where, you know, things were macho, you don't like play around with juniors and so on, right? The people in my year group had an issue with that, all right? But the fruit still remains of what I did during that particular time. And I still remember coming out of that season where I was the one who was honored uh, I was the one who was exalted. I was the one who was given the accolades uh, by the rector of the school and so on. I was the one who was promoted, okay? So for some of you, maybe you're that person, you know, in sport, remember when just, Justin Gatlin uh, won, I think it was in the world champs a few years ago, right? And everyone was saying, oh, you you were cheating uh, previously. Oh, you shouldn't be racing, you shouldn't. But in his mid thirties, he still beat everyone. And what did he say at the end? He just did this, Shh, And some of you are in that place in your life right now where one day you will say to everyone around you, shh, they will be silent. Why? Because of God's favor over your life. The Lord your God is with you. He's with me. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. You see, a lot of people know that God is with them. But few people really know what his thoughts are toward them. God rejoices over you with singing. Meditate on that. Be delivered today from the fear of rejection from man. It's a form of idolatry. When we look for validation from other people, one of the marks of an adult is self validation. You can validate yourself. You're not dependent on other people to validate you, okay? You can validate yourself. If you look in, Psalms, the book of Psalms 27, chapter 27, verses 1 to 2. Bible here says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. This is very powerful. Because when we're afraid of someone else's rejection, we're actually afraid of very specific things. Maybe you're afraid of their disapproval. Maybe you're afraid of their judgment. It's important to actually unpack what exactly you're afraid of. Maybe you're afraid of being isolated from them. Maybe you're afraid of uh, no monetary gain. You won't gain anything anymore because it's a particular client. The number of people who say to me, Paul, I cannot say that to my boss. It's career-limiting, Paul. And I'm thinking to myself, don't you trust God as your source. Don't you know that it's God who promotes you and puts down another? That's what scripture tells us. So why are you so afraid of this person? Well, it's because you've exalted them. Remember that song? I have made you too small in my eyes. You know, the one that goes, Be magnified, O God. Be magnified, O God. I've made you too small in my eyes. Okay. I've leaned on the wisdom of man, right? Lord, forgive me for that. Forgive me for exalting man's words above your own words, right? Now, when we look here, can you see what's actually going on? What's going on here is saying, whom shall I fear because the Lord is the stronghold of my life? It's not me humanistically just saying, I'm not afraid of you people, right? It's not me saying, I don't need your approval, right? It's me saying, the reason I don't need your approval, the reason I'm not afraid of you is because I've made God my stronghold. You see, a lot of people don't make God their stronghold. A lot of people don't make God, God their light and their salvation, right? And they still expect to overcome the fear of man. My friend, you will not overcome the fear of man until you make God your stronghold, until you make God your fortress, your rock, until you make God your strong tower, until you make God your light and your salvation, to the degree to which you do that, it'll be the same degree to which you experience freedom from the fear of man. The fear of man will control your behavior. The fear of man will control your destiny. God wants to free us from that. Now, in Romans 8 verse 31, Bible says, what then Shall we say in response to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? We're not going out just saying, hey, who can be against us? We're literally saying we realize realize that God is actually for us. And because we have that revelation, we're like, who can be against us? They can try to be against us. But here's the important principle. You cannot demote that which God has promoted, period. You cannot demote that which God has promoted, period. Okay. I like uh, Psalm 56 verse 11. Bible tells us in God, I trust and I am not afraid. What can man do to me? Again, he's not just saying, what can man do to me? He's saying in God, I trust. Do you trust in the Lord? God wants to free you from the fear of man today, from the fear of man's rejection, the fear of man's words. He wants to free you today from that thing. It's so debilitating. It's so debilitating. In the book of Psalms 27, verse six, it says, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Can you see the place where God protects you? The place where he exalts you above all your enemies, where you're untouchable. It's in the place of worship. That's where we hide ourselves. There's spiritual activities that you can engage in that place you in a place of immunity. When we stop seeking God's face, when we stop being in that place of worship, when we stop hiding ourselves in that particular cleft, okay, which is a spiritual place, it's a place in the spirit, then we are open to the fiery darts of the enemy and often it's the dart of rejection. Watch out for that, okay? So, If you have been rejected, the word of God shows us that there's actually a blessing, a blessing for those who walk in rejections, particularly when you're being rejected for his sake. So not all rejection is bad. The rejection that I've faced in my life, a lot of it has actually been good for me because I'm free from the fear of man. I will make certain decisions, even if they're unpopular. I will make certain decisions and I'll continue in my life and in my destiny, even if people misunderstand me, even if people think I'm doing it with the wrong motives. I will do that. One of the tests we have to go through in our lives very often is the test of rejection. Let me show you this. In Luke 6 verse 22, it says, Blessed are you when people hate you. Have you been hated before? Has there been jealousy before? I've experienced that. I still remember a situation where we were playing rugby. Yes, believe it or not, I used to play rugby uh, at school and I was I was good because of my speed and my agility. Okay, and I still remember being in a situation where I dived right when I was scoring a a particular try. It was inter-house rugby. And I remember one guy, um, our parents were also friends at the time. Uh, but I remember one guy uh, coming to me and was like, Paul, you dived when you did that. I, I didn't even dive. I can't dive like that. And you dived. And it was almost like he was so angry with the fact that I had dived when I was scoring a try and it looked great. OK, maybe you have felt hated by certain people. Maybe you have felt um, envy from certain people. You're just going about your life, minding your own business, and there's a strong spirit of envy against you. I remember one friend of ours having a particular vision over my wife and myself and he could see it and he was like, I'm just seeing that there there are people around you. This was some years ago in a certain context. I'm just seeing there's envy that's coming against you. There's envy that's coming against you, right? Um, Often from insecure people. But it says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, And reject your name as evil. Have you been there before? Because of the Son of Man. Because of the Son of Man. Because of your faith. Because you are walking in right standing with God. And people treat you like that, right? Uh, You are blessed. You are blessed when that happens. I remember growing up being the first person who got saved in my household, in my extended family, and being in a situation where sometimes they would tease me. They would say, I'm like this priest, or I'm this, or I'm that, and so on. I remember growing up feeling quite different to everyone else. Now, obviously, a whole lot of them got saved afterwards, and we talk about these things and so on, so they're no hard feelings. But the point is, as a young person, when you experience that type of rejection, it's easy For some people to literally end up compromising, to literally end up toning down, right? Have you toned down your morality because of the fear of rejection? Do you remember Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and of my teaching, so the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father's splendor. Okay it's not just about being ashamed of Jesus it's about being ashamed of his teaching and there's some of you you in a space in your life where you are ashamed of the teaching of Jesus Christ because some of it is very radical Okay. Do not be ashamed of his teaching. You see, maybe in a space where you're not ashamed of being a Christian, but you're ashamed of the teaching, especially the radical teaching. So you tone down your messages. You tone down how you come across. You're trying to be like everyone else. Okay. The happiest Christians in the world are the believers who are radical for Jesus. The believers who are authentic, who are saying, you know what, this is what I believe. And this is why I believe it. And I'm going to go all out. For the Lord Jesus, okay? I still remember in my vasty days in the 90s right uh some of the saddest people around were the backslidden Christians the backslidden Christians they're not happy in the world because they keep feeling that conviction of you know what i actually need to be following jesus okay they're not happy in the church because maybe they feel judged by the church and they feel like they're not quite in the in group of the church okay be radical for jesus make a decision you know me and my household this is what we're going to do for the lord okay there's nothing like oh i'm being too christian or i'm being uh, i love the lord too much no you either love him or you don't. Let's go full out for Jesus. Amen. Okay. So, so I want to unpack to you the anatomy of rejection. It's really important to understand how rejection actually works and what it actually looks like. A lot of people don't understand the anatomy of rejection. So let's explore that a little bit. Okay. Ashley Ladderer talks about it and uh, says memories. She says memories are complex processes that occur in the brain. Highly emotional experiences like rejection get stored in the brain and remembered there thanks to the amygdala, okay? That's a part of the brain that attaches meaning to experience. It's your emotional center, basically, okay? Kabbalah says, if you're someone who has struggled with rejection and that gets reinforced in various scenarios so that it gains meaning and importance, even in small ways, That rejection turns into our pervading emotional story. My question to you is, what's your pervading emotional story right now in your life? Have you given rejection that you've experienced? Have you given it meaning and importance? All right. Remember, the thing that destroys you in life isn't so much what people have said about you or to you. It's how you interpret it. It's how you interpret it. It's how you interpret what they say about you. And it's also how many times you then rehearse what they say. Because sometimes you end up repeating that trauma thousands of times over, over the years. You repeat that same trauma. It's as if you're reliving it because you keep rehearsing it over and over and over again. What's the story you're telling yourself? That's what's going to control your life. I've experienced rejection in my life. You've experienced rejection. You've experienced betrayal. I've experienced betrayal. But what story am I telling myself? right? I've been rejected before and I've said to myself, you know what, this is what happens as a test. How am I going to react to it? How am I going to respond to it? Am I going to allow it to make me become free of all people or am I going to continue being addicted to the approval of man? I choose freedom in Jesus' name, okay? So some examples of the type of rejection you might have experienced, maybe you, you once liked someone, I'm talking about romantically, okay? And, but they said to you, let's just be friends. I don't want to spoil our friendship. Let's just remain in the friend zone. And maybe you're always that guy, you know, where you're the nice one. You do, you do nice things for the girls. They trust you, but you always remained in the friend zone. And you thought to yourself, is there something wrong with me? Maybe you even started questioning your your masculinity because of it, especially when the girls will then go for some dodgy character down the road and you're like, huh? Why are they going to this person who they know is gonna hurt them, but I'm here. Maybe you experienced that. Another example is uh, maybe being rejected uh in, your, in terms of your application for a particular university, you know, when they say to you, unfortunately, we don't have a position that meets your unique qualifications at this time. You're overqualified for us and you might get bored. OK, that might be a scenario maybe in the workplace. You've been rejected that way. And it's confusing because you don't quite know what to say, you know. Uh, OK. OK, so are you saying I'm too good for you guys? OK, because they've mastered the art of saying it very nicely. You know, we regret to inform you that we cannot grant you acceptance into uh, X university. You're welcome to reapply in future enrollments. OK, and you're thinking to yourself, will it actually work in the future or not? Right. Hey, you're a very talented person and I expect you'll do great things elsewhere. All right. Um you've faced that type of rejection, haven't you? And you know what the sad thing is? We become afraid of this, all right? We become very vigilant, wanting to protect ourselves from danger and harm. Not so, right? Become very vigilant. Someone once said, the things that we fear the most have already happened to us. It was Robin Williams in the one-hour photo. The things we fear the most have already happened to us, So why are we so afraid of them if we've already experienced them before? You say to someone, hey, apply for that position. Hey, Paul, I'm tired of going to more and more interviews. What are you tired of? Hey, I don't wanna be rejected again. Have you been rejected before? Yes, I have been, Paul. And you're still here, right? You still have a happy family. You seem to be quite a good person yourself in terms of how you do what you do and so on. So why are you afraid of another rejection? What is it gonna do to you? You see, what happens is that when we become so vigilant In terms of the fear of rejection, we end up catastrophizing. Catastrophizing, that's like exaggerating, making everything into a catastrophe, okay? We end up catastrophizing the impact of that rejection. We literally think to ourselves, I cannot survive, you know? I cannot survive. You know, I can't survive in this situation anymore. I can't survive in that situation anymore. No, you can survive. You can survive. And you can even thrive. That's what resilience is, right? Where we thrive in the face of adversity. Okay, in Romans 15, verse seven, it says, accept one another. Then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You see, sometimes when you've experienced rejection, you become a victim. And it's so easy to forget that our role, our job as Christians is to actually offer acceptance to one another. So as you listen to this message, don't just focus on you. Don't just focus on yourself as the recipient uh, of rejection. But think of how you can show acceptance to other people who've been rejected. Amen. Okay. Now, the need to belong has been described as one of the most fundamental human needs. You know, a lot of times when people experience anxiety in their lives... You can trace it back to the need for acceptance. People come up to me, oh, Paul, I get stage fright. I'm so nervous. I feel so anxious getting up and speaking in front of people. And I say to them, what are you really afraid of? Oh, I might make a mistake. What are the consequences of making a mistake? Paul, I'll be shunned. People will think, hey, girl, you ain't all that. People will reject me, you see? The root of rejection, It's the rejection is the root of so much anxiety that we face, you see? And the thing to understand is that There are different types of rejection, okay? There's active rejection, where you're actively rejected. And the way that impacts you is you end up feeling tense and anxious. So your issue isn't an anxiety issue. Often it's a rejection issue, right? And remember, it's the anticipation of the rejection that can be quite painful, right? So there's active rejection. When you're literally told, you are not invited to this meeting, please leave, okay? no, This meeting is above your pay grade, please leave right? You literally told that. Or maybe it's in marriage, right? Where um, your spouse could actually say to you, I've fallen out of love uh, with you, right? I'm not in love with you anymore. I'm in love with that other woman or that other man, okay? And they criticize you directly. That's very clear, right? What that means. But there's also another type of rejection which is more subtle and this is where you're being passively ignored passively ignored and the impact is a bit different you see with active rejection the tendency is to feel anxious about it okay to feel really anxious about it and tense but when you're passively ignored the impact often is you feel sad and you feel dejected which is a different emotion Okay and it's important to distinguish between these because often when you're being passively ignored it's open to interpretation isn't it it's when you're at a function and there's certain people who just go to other people and start talking to them they don't say i don't enjoy talking to you that's why i'm going to those people right and so if you're someone who's already sensitive to rejection sometimes you're sensitive and you read between the lines and you assume that you're being rejected when you're not really but it's a very subtle form of rejection isn't it okay now I want to ask you a question. Do you think it's just either or? You see, very often it's actually both and, isn't it? All right. It's on a continuum because sometimes you can be excluded and it's very active, the type of rejection. Okay, And then as time goes by, those same people passively ignore you. Other times, it's the other way around, where people start off by passively ignoring you. They don't invite you to that family function. They don't invite you to that corporate executive function, right? And you're wondering, what's going on? Do they just forget? They didn't brief me on this, but they briefed other people. You're a bit confused about it. And then when you don't get the hint, that's when you experience the active rejection, okay? It's because you're a female. We don't like women here. It's because you're black. It's because you're white. And they'll actually say it to your face. Okay, this is so important to actually understand what is the impact it has on me. And here's the thing with rejection. It doesn't just affect you at an emotional level. It actually also affects you at a physical, biological level. This is what's actually scary about it. It's been found in research that when people are anticipating rejection, their heart rate can actually slow down. Rejection and the fear of rejection affects you at a biological level. It will affect your health. And that's why it's so important to be deep in the word of God, deep in the word of God, so that we come to a place of spiritual object constancy. You see, when a child is growing up, that little baby, when you leave that little baby and you go off somewhere, what happens? The baby begins to cry because they literally believe mom does not exist anymore. Dad does not exist anymore. Right. Then when you come back into the room, you comfort that little baby and they go quiet What's actually taking place there, right? Um, They're not yet developed in terms of emotional object constancy. They're not yet fully developed that way, right? Um, So they believe that you've literally disappeared and you don't exist anymore. But over the months, when you continue to nurture them, when you continue to hold them and touch them and they hear your voice, they internalize that love, that care, that nurture, And after some time, even when you leave their presence, they've internalized it and they know they're loved. They know they're loved, right? Now, if you didn't have that when you were growing up, it causes issues later on in life. And that's why it's so crucial that we come to a place of our true identity in Christ Jesus, where we have spiritual object constancy. And spiritual object constancy is where Jesus says, abide in me, remain in my love. What is he talking about? He's saying to his disciples, guys, even when I go, even when when the ascension takes place, don't worry, you have my spirit, okay? You have a a helper, Paracletos, right, who's here, a standby, who's going to comfort you. I am with you in spirit, okay? Spiritual object constancy. A lot of believers don't want to do the work. They don't want to do the work of mind renewal, You know that unrequited love can be so, so painful. Research has actually found, for example, that with little babies, when a mom is playing with a little baby, they did some research where uh, the mom would carry on playing with the baby and responding, repeating sounds and so on. The baby's laughing, baby's laughing. Then on purpose, I know it sounds cruel, but on purpose, the mom was told, don't respond anymore. And then the baby would do certain things. And guess what? The, The mom would not respond. Baby would do certain things. Mom would not respond. What did the baby start doing? The baby began to cry. The babies will start crying, okay? Because at at the root of us, we've got a strong need to belong. But what that is speaking of is unrequited love, okay? Love that is not returned. Where you're doing something, you're pouring yourself out to someone, but you're not seeing it coming back. It's painful, and it's a certain type of rejection. It's a certain type of rejection that we go through, that we experience. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. If I don't have this revelation, unfortunately what happens is, if I have not experienced love coming back, love that is mutual, there's a shame that results in it. There's a shame that comes out of it, all right, that I experience. And uh, it's a type of basic shame. That's what we call it, basic shame that people actually go through because they felt like, I delighted in you, but you didn't respond. It happens to kids where it's like, I delighted in my father. I delighted in my big brother, but they didn't seem to be that excited about me, right? And that person grows up with a basic shame, a basic shame, and then they become very guarded that I'm not going to express love. I'm not going to express delight because it might not come back. It's so important that we communicate delight to our children, especially in their formative years. It's so important that we communicate delight to our spouses. I know some of you might say, no, they should get that from God. Yes, they get it from God. But our job as believers, our job as spouses is to actually reinforce how God sees them. It's to actually reinforce God's delight in them. It's so, so Important. If you unpack this scripture, but you are a chosen people. That word "chosen" literally means select, and by implication, it means favorite. Okay, you are God's favorite. Say that to yourself. I am God's favorite. That's so so important. Okay, uh, when it, when it talks about a people, right? It's talking about a genus, a genus an ethnic group, okay, we are a people, we are a breed of people as believers, okay, a family, it's talking about a family, it's talking about offspring, so we are God's offspring, we come from him, if you study the book of Genesis, the Bible says, and God made man, and then it says, God breathed into him, and he became a living being, there was something in God's breath that's now in us today, isn't that powerful, that's why I think it's so significant that we are twice God's, Okay. We belong to God doubly. Why? Why do I say that? First, he created us. He's the father of creation. So we are his creation. Okay. And in his creation, a part of him came into us. Isn't that powerful? It says God breathed and man becomes a living being. And then the devil did whatever he did. Okay. And we were under the enemy and then we were bought back. That's what redemption means. It means to buy back. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you own something and then someone takes it from you or steals it, but you value the thing so much that you are willing to actually buy it back? That's how valued we are. So let me tell you something. You belong to God doubly. Okay, multiple times. You're so valuable to him that he was willing to redeem you. I think that's phenomenal. Okay, Uh, the Bible here says we are a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. Do you know what that word royal actually means? All right, it's an interesting word that speaks of king, it speaks of uh, ruler, it uh, specifically speaks of emperor. Okay, so we are rulers. That's why the Bible says we'll reign as kings, right? So we're a royal priesthood. Um, A royal nation, a holy nation. That word holy speaks of sacred. It speaks of being set apart. um, We're his special possession. Imagine in your house, in my house, I've got certain things that are my possessions, right? Things that belong to me. But let me tell you something. There's certain things that are more special than others. And based on that, they stay in certain parts of the house, right? Where I know the dogs won't chew them, where I know uh, my kids won't touch them, okay? They're hidden in certain places, because there's my special possession. And God says, you know what? Hide in me. Stay in me. Remain in me. You guys are my special possession. When you meditate on this, my friend, rejection from people bounces off you. When this becomes your reality, okay? And when it talks about possession, it literally means to preserve alive. It talks about preservation. It talks about acquisition, something that's been acquired, something that's been purchased, okay? To make my own, right? We're special possession. He's made us his own, okay? Now, as a result of all of this, we are called to proclaim or to declare the praises of God's goodness. Isn't that powerful? It says uh, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we can only proclaim things about God when we've tasted his goodness. You only proclaim things about God when you've tasted his goodness. And the Bible says, I want you to see, I want you to see that you're a special possession, right? You're God's chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're all these wonderful things, right? And as a result of seeing that, proclaim it. Proclaim it. Proclaim it through your lifestyle and proclaim it vocally and verbally. In Colossians 3, verse 3, it says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We're doubly His. We're doubly His. Okay. My life is hidden with Christ. Okay. That's already protection, but I'm also in God. I think that's phenomenal. Okay. Now, this is who we are in Christ. But the enemy's strategy is for us not to meditate on this. The enemy's strategy is for us not to embrace this kingdom reality about ourselves, you see, uh, because he knows the impact of being the rejected loner. He knows what it does to us. He knows what we become when we see ourselves as the rejected loner, okay? So the antidote to all of this is self-acceptance. Self-acceptance is the antidote to the spirit of rejection. Jesus said in John 15 verse 9, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. That's so, so important. Okay. In self-acceptance, I know that I belong and I'm lovable and I'm accepted just as I am. I don't need to be perfect to be accepted. That's why it's important for parents to reinforce unconditional acceptance to their children so that the children grow up knowing they're loved and they're accepted, not based on their performance. We need to create a culture of self-acceptance, okay? How do we do this? How do we do this? How do you do it with your spouse? How do you do it with your child? I'll tell you what their heart cry is, all right? If you were to ask them, they would say, this is how you can show me acceptance, okay? Okay? When you show acceptance of my imperfect past, then I know you really accept me. When you allow me to be myself, right, then I know you really accept me. When you value me as a powerful human being with my own unique taste in clothes, in hairstyles, in food, in sport, in movies, in humor, when you actually accept that. It reinforces self-acceptance. There's a guy called Nathaniel Brandon. He wrote a powerful book called The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. And he said, self-acceptance is my refusal to be in an adversarial relationship with myself. Self-acceptance is my refusal to be in an adversarial adversarial relationship with myself. In other words, I'm literally saying, no, I'm not against myself. The thing a lot of people struggle with is this. They've been rejected in life and they've internalized that rejection. And so they now suffer from a big disease called self-hatred. And you see, when you struggle with self-hatred, you tend to project that onto the people around you. In psychology, it's called the persecutory superego. You know that person who thinks everyone is against me. They have a bad review with their boss and they're thinking to themselves, I know this boss has told everyone in the organization. Following day, people don't greet him All right. Uh, One of the senior people doesn't say hi. And they're like, you see, I told you so. And you know what? Because you're looking for that confirmation of the fact that you are hated. Right. You will find it. You'll find it. When I go around looking for negative things, I will find those negative things. There's just that thing in us as human beings. Okay, we'll tend to focus on the negative and not on the positive. And that's because of our self-hatred. Jesus loves you. You belong to him. And so you ought to also love yourself, okay? Period, right? We need to be able to have that self care right? We need to be affectionate and tender toward ourselves. Very often how you treat yourself determines how you treat other people. If you're always criticizing yourself, rejecting yourself, you will reject other people, right? What tends to happen with a lot of people is they'll reject themselves before they can be rejected and they end up isolating themselves and robbing the body of Christ, robbing their families, right, of the goodness that God has placed inside of them. Let's unpack the anatomy of the rejected loner. What does it actually look like? And if you identify with any of these things, um, begin to work through this particular process as we embark on this journey. Okay. The rejected loner will often transfer past rejection onto current scenarios. Okay. And this is often because of what's called learned helplessness, learned helplessness, right? You've been so used to being rejected. That you're now in a place where you're saying, I'm not going to try anymore. There's no point in trying. The same thing will just happen. And you end up getting stuck in what's called the tyranny of the familiar. The tyranny of the familiar. And this is basically that thing you go through where you, you find yourself. And I'll give you an example. You know how often people who've been abused in life. Right? You see them being attracted to people who are going to abuse them again. Okay? And they'll, you know, when people say, uh, better the devil, you know, they're familiar with abuse, so they keep going into relationships where they'll be abused. And they stay in those relationships because they're comfortable with it, they're fine with it right? It's like, that's my lot in life. That's the tyranny of the familiar. That's learned helplessness. I can't do anything about it because this is what my life has been like, okay? This is my emotional story. This is the drama of my life. The moment that wonderful person comes, it could be that wonderful Mr. Wright, who's such a gentleman, you now have alarm bells because you're thinking to yourself, what's the catch here? Is this person fake or not? Okay, Um, it's been found that some people have programmed their minds to more readily accept failure than success. I'm telling you right now, your your internal world, how you see yourself internally, your self-concept literally will affect your life destiny. That's just how it works. Okay. Secondly, the rejected loner will often feel deep emotional pain. Deep emotional pain. Okay, and I've explained to you before MRI studies have shown that the same brain pathways that are activated by physical pain are also activated by social pain or rejection. All right, receptor systems in the brain also release natural painkillers, okay, opioids, right? They're released, right, when an individual experiences social pain, not just physical pain. And it's the same opioids that are actually released right, by your brain. So I think this is just important understanding that we relive and re-experience social pain more vividly than physical pain. Thirdly, the rejected loner will perform in order to gain acceptance. What do you do to feel significant? I remember coaching someone and I said to the person, how come you want to be this person who's regarded as super smart, super intelligent? That's one of your goals, your life goals. You want to be seen as intelligent. You want to have all these degrees and so on. What's driving this? There's nothing bad in pursuing those things, but what's driving it? And this individual said, you know what? I want to be somebody. I want to be accepted. And I said to this particular individual, you know what? You can end up being super successful, but it won't necessarily change how people treat you. Um, In Becoming, uh, the whole documentary and the book uh, by Michelle, um, Michelle Obama, she talks about it, doesn't she? She talks about her older brother, who she gets along well with. And she says, but you know what? I always felt that he was mom's favorite, you know, my big brother. And she gives a story, or she tells a story of a time when she was at the White House, and the mom was invited, there was some function there, and the brother was also invited, and they were now waiting for the brother, and the mom was quite anxious saying, "Oh, where is he? Where is he? When is he coming? When is he coming?" And she's like she jokingly says it. you know she's like, "Mom, what do I have to do? I'm now the first lady, and you're busy worried about." You know, my brother, where is he, where is he, where is he? And the point is this, I've seen it happening where some people will strive, they will perform, they will do all sorts of things, right? Just to gain favor, just to be accepted. Let me tell you something, let me tell you something. Do not let other people control your behavior because you need their approval. Don't do that. Be led by the spirit. Don't be led by the need for other people's approval. And don't be led by the fear of, of judgment from them. That's one of the things that happens. We feel rejected. There's shame associated with the rejection. And as a result of that, there's fear of judgment. That's one of the, that's part of the fruit of shame. It's fear of judgment. I will be judged. And what you do when you're afraid of being judged, you spend so much energy trying to explain to the whole world, right? Uh, your heart and your intentions. That's what you spend your energy on. Instead of just saying, you know what, it's the praise that comes from God, the honor that comes from God that's really important. Okay? So that's imp- that's important to, to examine. Okay. The fourth aspect of the rejected loner is this: the rejected loner will often attack as their form of defense. You find some people will enter a meeting and they're feeling insecure. They feel like everyone is against me. So what do they do? They begin to attack and they begin to criticize. The rejected loner will often feel like they're looking from the outside in. I still remember when I was at Varsity, we were part of a particular ministry there. And I remember the pastor accurately diagnosed something in me, gave me a prophetic word and basically said, there's a demonically inspired lie that has come against you. And it's a lie that says you will always be looking from the outside in. That's the word he got. And he was so right. People looked at me and they thought I'm part of the in group. I'm right there. I'm in the co- at the core of everything that's going on. But there was something in me that felt like I was always looking from the outside in. I wasn't quite in. I was an outsider. And I remember that my behavior followed that. I remember my friends who uh, then became pastors uh, in that particular ministry, we're going with the senior pastor away for some time, for a couple of days for prayer and fasting, right? But because I felt like an outsider, even when I was invited to that, I remember the pastor then said, hey, um, Paul, do you want to join us for a time of prayer and fasting? We're going away for a couple of days. My knee-jerk reaction was, you know what? I need to study. I'm busy. I, I have to study. That's what I said, okay? So my internal world was informing my external world world or my perception of my external world. You'll feel like an outsider. You know those people who arrive at church and they begin to criticize people. They begin to say, this church is not friendly, right? But no, you are the one who feels rejected and you're carrying that rejection and that's how you see the people around you, okay? The rejected loner will exhibit nonconformist behavior and attitude. The rejected loner will exhibit nonconformist behavior and attitude. This is so true of the orphan spirit, isn't it? Okay. This is so true of that person who will say, you know what? I've always been the odd one out. I've always been different. That's just me. That's my lot in life. So guess what ends up happening? They literally live that out. They live that out. When you say, we want to paint this yellow, they'll say, no, it must be green. They always want to be different because that's their identity. I am different, okay? So again, watch out for that. Are you being a non-conformist because of a root of rejection? The rejected loner will reject themselves before they can be rejected, okay? So I really want to be accepted by you, but let me reject myself before you can reject me. You know those people, you're having dinner with them, uh, you're out somewhere, And they're trying to avoid that feeling of rejection when you cut the meeting short and say, I've got to go. So they very quickly make sure they do it before you do it. Okay. And it's a self protective mechanism in a lot of people. All right. Okay. uh, Cheers. You know, let me end the call now and I'll leave you to do what you need to do. But the deeper fear is I'm afraid of you hanging up on me. I'm afraid of you saying to me, I need to go now. You've spoken long enough. Okay. Rejecting yourself before. You can be rejected. The rejected loner will project their self-hatred onto others through criticism, right? I criticize myself, so I'll also criticize you. The rejected loner either craves attention or dreads it. So they don't like being the center of attention because they associate that with rejection or they will do certain things, attention-seeking behavior, so that they feel accepted, they feel acknowledged and they've got a lot of value equivalents For acceptance, okay? If people treat you like this, if people greet you like this, if people give you this, it means they've accepted you. But is that what's really is that what's really going on in that other person's world? Very often not. But we interpret things through our own lenses. The rejected loner will often experience a deep sense of shame. And let me just say this about shame. There are different types of shame. There's the shame that comes from unrequited love, right? Where someone doesn't love you back. There's a shame that comes from that. There's a shame that comes from feeling like an outsider and being constantly ignored. There's a shame that comes from public embarrassment or unwanted exposure where people falsely accuse you or when someone walks into the room and maybe you are half dressed and you've had that experience. There's a shame that comes from that. There's a shame that comes from disappointed expectation. Maybe it's a friendship going sour. Maybe it's your parents not picking you up on time consistently. I remember in one of my sessions, someone sharing that particular story, just saying that everyone else from boarding school will be there with their trunks down, you know, near the car park, ready to be picked up by their parents. But my sister and I would not bother doing that because we knew that our parents would come a few hours late. There's that shame when you're the last kid that's picked up, okay? Not getting the promotion that you desired, right? You're expecting a particular promotion and it didn't come through. And people ask you, so did you get it? Did you get it? And you look at that, that look of shame on that particular individual. Let me tell you something. We're accepted in the beloved. God rejoices over us with singing. And that's our portion and that's our identity. It's important to empty ourselves of all these pseudo identities that have come from rejection and shame in our lives. There's also shame from moral failure. We know what it was like for Adam and Eve, how they literally covered themselves up why did they have to cover themselves up? They were naked and ashamed. They were ashamed of their nakedness. And I see this happening with a lot of people. When you've got shame on your life, you begin to avoid the people who you think might judge you, right? But that's all happening in your head. You don't really know who's going to judge you or not. You don't know who's going to accept you or not. But you avoid them because you're avoiding the, the rejection that you might actually end up facing. The rejected loner often has a constant fear of judgment, okay? The fear of judgment is a fruit of shame, and it happens to a lot of people. The result of this is sometimes people need to control other people's perception of them. The rejected loner often has that orphan spirit, you know, with an orphan. I don't know if you've dealt with some orphans before, but sometimes what happens is that you try to correct them, for example, and what happens? They will just jump ship. Okay, I remember there was a time some years ago I was staying with a particular friend of mine and then we had this guy come and he was a homeless at the time and we began to challenge him in his life after he got we got him baptized and that kind of thing began to challenge him with certain life issues and then he literally disappeared. OK, there's that thing where some people cannot handle discipline. They cannot handle being rebuked. The Bible tells us that it's the loving father who rebukes his children. Right. It's a loving father. It's a loving thing to discipline your children. But someone who's come from a background of deep rejection or the orphan spirit, they see that type of discipline as negative. They see it as you don't really like me anymore. And often they can they can become very manipulative about it and controlling about it. They run away when they're challenged. They take things too personally. Okay. It's so important for the rejected loner to actually get in touch with their feelings of defense. When you want to rise up and defend yourself, where is that coming from? Why are you being like that? What is really going on there? Why are you upset with the people? Why do you have to jump ship and go somewhere else where people don't know you? You're avoiding those feelings of shame and rejection. And they're now controlling your life. The rejected loner will often catastrophize the negative events around them. And what the sad thing is about catastrophizing things, it often becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. A bit like Job when he says, the very thing that I feared came upon me. That particular thing that you feared comes upon you. Researchers actually found that. It's actually found that there was what was called the Termin Life Cycle Study. Okay, it actually predicted catastrophizing actually was a predictor for mortality and accident, accidental or violent death. Okay, it predicted it very well. When people were afraid of that particular thing, that's what actually ended up happening. It seems strange, but it seems like fear can literally attract to some extent that particular thing from happening. That spirit of fear gives the enemy a foothold in your life. So what are you proclaiming? Fear is faith in reverse. What are you proclaiming? Have you got faith in God's word or have you got faith in evil tidings? Is that what you believe in God for? All right, just think about it. As I conclude, I wanna highlight five things that we need to know from the word of God about God's acceptance. The first thing is that God's acceptance of you is not based on your nationality. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 35, It says, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And you know, that situation where God literally sent Peter to go and minister to Cornelius, right? Was from a different nationality. And Peter had prejudice, right? But then when Peter goes and he sees in Acts chapter 10, he sees that these guys have been baptized in the spirit as I'm preaching and so on, right? He realizes that man, you know what, God actually accepts everyone. I want to encourage you, accept everyone. If you feel rejected because of your nationality, embrace God's acceptance today. Secondly, God's acceptance of you only requires that you keep coming back to him. Jesus said in John 6 verse 37, all that the father gives me all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, that's the only requirement, keep coming back to Jesus. The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. This is what people need to know. A lot of people aren't saved today because they believe that Jesus will cast them out if they come. They think that, oh, Jesus has, there've been all sorts of things that I've done wrong. He will cast me out. No, he won't. He says, all that come to me, I will certainly not cast out. And then thirdly, God's acceptance of you is covenantal. He's made a covenant. Covenant is really a fancy word for agreement. He's made an agreement. He's made a vow and he sticks to his word. In 2 Kings 13 verse 23, the Bible says, But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and turned to them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and would not destroy them or cast them from his presence until now, right? God has got a covenantal relationship with you. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, the Bible says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In Psalms 94, verse 14, for the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. You are his inheritance. God inherits you. God inherits me. We are his inheritance, okay? The church is his pure bride that he's waiting to receive, right? He wants his pure bride. He's waiting for that particular bride, right? Spotless, without blemish, right? We are his inheritance. Isn't that so powerful, okay? His acceptance of you is covenantal, okay? It's not flimsy. It doesn't change like, oh, you made that mistake yesterday. Oh, okay, I don't accept you anymore, all right? come back to Jesus. If you're in a backslidden state, come back to Jesus. He will in no wise cast you out. Okay. Fourth, God's acceptance of you is not based on your gender or your social status. In Galatians three twenty-eight, the Bible says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is what the gospel does, ladies and gentlemen. The gospel is the grand equalizer. Isn't that wonderful? I think this is so profound when you really meditate on this. People have grown up in a society where women were told you can't vote, where women were told you can't apply for this job, right? People were told based on their skin color, you can't be this, you can't be that. And now the gospel comes and says, in Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. That's your social status. There's neither male nor female. That's your gender. I think this is so powerful, right? We are equal as the Bible says, whether you're male or female, equal as before God when it comes to kingdom things. Do not internalize how you've been treated in the past by society. Go to the word of God and you'll see your acceptance right there. And then finally, God's acceptance of you is full of tenderness. It is full of tenderness. In the book of Psalms 27 verse 10, it says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Did you experience abandonment from parents? Maybe in a situation where you're a grown man and you don't know who your parents are. That's the situation many people who are fatherless today, motherless today. The Bible says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Isaiah 49 verse 15, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, so a mother may forget, though she may forget, I will not forget you. I think that's so, so powerful. In 1 Peter 5 verse 7, it says, cast all, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That word anxiety means that which fractures a person's being into parts, okay? That's why the word for peace is the word in the Greek, irene, irene, okay? It means being at one with yourself. And what does anxiety do? It fragments you, okay? You become the divided self, okay? Cast all your divided parts, all your fragmented fragmented and um, fractured parts, cast all of them onto him because he cares for you. That word cares is a very powerful word in the Greek. It literally means the object of someone's worry, the object of someone's anxiety, the object of someone's concern. I'm not saying God is anxious, but I'm saying God is concerned about you. God is, is anxious over you, right? He's concerned. He takes care. He's thinking... Is she okay? Is that situation fine? Right? Isn't that so, so powerful? Right? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's God's tenderness. Isaiah 40, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. He's tender with you. Have you got a little baby today? Have you got a little child? Right? He's gentle with those who have young. He gently leads you. You're putting all sorts of weights on yourself, but he does it gently. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. So ladies and gentlemen, you have a choice. You have a choice. Watch out for the tyranny of the familiar. If you've experienced a rejected life, You don't have to stay in that place anymore, but know that you're accepted in the beloved. Don't stop the rejection you've experienced. Don't don't let it stop you from loving people. Don't let the fear of rejection stop you from stepping out and showing love to people. Don't let it stop you from doing that. Don't live in that tyranny of the familiar. You've got a choice today. You can actually say, I'm going to just start spending time with people who accept me for who I am. That's your portion in life, okay? That's your portion in life. Stop punishing yourself with isolation. You're born for community. You're born to bond, okay? Being in isolation, the isolated self is not a healthy self. I want to encourage you. Let's step out from the pseudo-identity of the rejected loner and let's step fully into I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm loved by God. And because of that, I can go out into the world and show people that acceptance and that love. That's my identity in Christ. Amen. Father, I thank you for your goodness and I thank you for this word. Father, let these words take root in our hearts and may you begin to transform us. Even as we pray through these particular things, show us what to focus on, Lord God. Show us where our healing and our deliverance is. And make us whole, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to encourage you to stay with us as we continue to talk about identity rehab. Keep sharing these messages with people. I finished my last um, pseudo identity today. And now what I'm going to be doing from, the, from, from next week onwards, we're going to be going deep into our kingdom identity. We'll be talking about who we've become in Christ. And I'm really hoping and believing that it will be something that sinks deep into our inner person and transforms us. So stay with us. Keep praying into these messages and allow them to transform your heart and your life. In Jesus name. Amen.